0: Welcome to How I Raised It, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with entrepreneurs who've raised capital. We uncover the tips, tricks and techniques they use to get investors to write a check. Strap in and turn it up. Hi, welcome to another episode of How I Raised It produced by Foundersuite.com. Today I have Ksenia Udina of Unest coming to us. How are you?
1: I'm good thanks Nathan. Pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah and you're based in LA right? That's right. But originally from Russia?
1: That's correct.
0: How long have you been in LA or the US?
1: Uh, It's been over 15 years now so long time.
0: Did you come to the US to start a business or was it like your family moved here?
1: No, I was like 18 years old. Uh, I came but like all by myself, um, uh, actually. Was like very brave 18 year old um and came here for like for studying basically. You know, um it was a short summer program for students. Um and you know, I just fell in love with, with the with the country, uh, fell in love with people, um, and decided like why would I ever go back? You know, it feels like home. <laughs> cool. It's sunny and beautiful and people are friendly, right? So <laughs>
0: Yeah, I've never been to Russia. It's on my places, my list of places to go for sure, because it sounds just fascinating in many ways. But uh <laughs> um, I'll hit you up for j- some j-
1: tips j- Just don't go right now. Like don't don't go in the winter time. That's that's my only advice.
0: <laughs> Good advice. Um all right. Well, what is UNEST? What do you guys do?
1: Yeah, uh so unest at UNEST we build uh the first mobile app of its kind uh, that makes it easier than ever before for parents to save for their kids education with tax-free college savings plans. So basically, we are addressing a huge problem in this country. You might have heard that, you know, the student debt has reached enormous levels of $1.7 trillion right now. And a lot of parents are struggling to save for college. They're looking for the best solutions, but existing solutions are very complex, time-consuming, you know, intimidating for people. So we just decided to simplify this process and put it on the mobile app
0: and so and full disclosure my wife has done it all for us so i don't even know how this works but currently before you came along i would go open up a 529 retirement account is that correct is that sort of the alternative or how
1: 529 college savings plan
0: yeah and and is that a difficult process to do? I should ask my wife this. But.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, no, r- right now, like, it, it's pretty, it's pretty difficult. Uh, so first of all, like, 70% of people in the country don't even know that 529 plans exist, right? Like, you know, a uh, huge problem of just lack of awareness. Yeah. The second problem is complexity, because people can either do it uh, through the state directly or through financial advisors and basically states you can imagine like they're not you know doing amazing job of like educating uh, people and making it very accessible and available for them it's very like long application process Uh, and financial advisors I mean like they need to deal with a lot of uh, paper applications like you know it's very manual process and they receive very little in commissions so they're not even incentivized to you know uh, bring 529 plans to more people
0: okay yeah. And why is the 529 state based? I remember we had to pick which state to do it in, which I didn't make much sense to me.
1: Right. Yeah. So so it's interesting. They all, like all all plans are kind of equal in the sense that they grow tax free, right? All earnings in the accounts grow tax free, but they're sponsored by the states. And some states actually provide additional tax benefits uh, to like to the residents, it doesn't mean that your home state is the best plan for you. Uh, so, for example, California doesn't provide any additional tax benefits, you know, to the residents. So you need to look at other states to see and basically kind of look at the holistic picture. Uh, what are the returns? What are the fees? Who is managing the assets? You know, like what value you're getting out of the whole package?
0: Yeah. In which state is best? Is there a best one? <laughs>
1: uh, there are a few like really good states, um, you know, like Utah, New York, Illinois, just like top rated, you know, um, uh, you know top rated plans by Morningstar.
0: Okay. So your app, is this a mobile app or, or desktop or both?
1: Uh, right now it's a mobile app.
0: And is this sitting on top of kind of this structure of 529s or, or is this yes. something completely separate?
1: yeah yeah we're sitting on top of the 529 plan so basically our fa- function is uh like a financial advisor right so imagine you would go to financial advisor uh you would ask like, what's the best plan for me can you like help me to set up this you know account can you help me to manage it for any questions that you have like any misconceptions uh or like you know questions like can i change beneficiary you know how can i use proceeds you would go to your financial advisor right mm-hmm. so we basically Uh, taking a role of the digital financial advisor to make it super simple you know accessible and scalable
0: yeah it makes sense and the the sort of category of like robo advisors like Wealthfront and betterment do they not do college savings plans or is you know have you found a little niche here or is or what
1: yeah, so so it's interesting. Uh Betterment, I believe, doesn't do any five twenty-nine plans right now. At Wellfront, they do have it as a feature, right? So basically Wellfront serves as a holistic financial advisor that's, that you know, helps you with retirement planning and you know, helps you set up the investment account. And one of the products is 529 plan. But because we're trying to solve this huge pain point for the consumers, right? I believe it's extremely important to be laser focused on one issue, right? Just imagine like 70% don't even know about 529 mm-hmm. plans. Those people who know have like so many misconceptions, like, you know, oh, do I need to invest in my own state? Do I need to go to the school in my own state? How do I use, you know, proceeds? that I believe that in order to solve this you know pain point for people you need to be laser focused on um on one issue and other differences also like we allow people to start with like very small investment you know Wellfront, I believe it's $500 to just open the account. For us, it's like $25. Anyone can start, like, with the minimum investment, minimum effort. Um, and also, like, we're targeting, like, basically focusing on uh, young families of, I would say, like, mid-income, right? Like, you know, low to mid-income that need it the most. They just mm-hmm. can't afford financial advisor, right? Like, or... Um, uh, they can't afford to, to pay fees of financial advisor or like, you know, can't afford to find access to that, um, uh, information basically.
0: Yeah. Interesting. All right. And it's in the market and any, um, any stats or metrics of, uh, I don't know that you're willing to share how many plans or customers or assets or anything.
1: Yeah. So it's in the market, but it's been like a uh, kind of a limited pilot because we are only available on iOS. Mm-hmm. So right now we have like, you know, a couple thousand families that we service. Uh, and like the, basically the idea was, okay, let's first build it to make sure like we can actually build it because no, no one ever has done it before, right? Like mm-hmm. we have this amazing, like you know, first, first move advantage uh, because the product is very complex and highly regulated as well. Second is like, Let's uh, kind of you know put it in hands of the first customers and get the feedback on what needs to be improved, right? Uh, let's make sure that there is sufficient demand for it before we start raising you know uh, some some institutional capital. And lastly, you know before we go full force into marketing, let's build the an Android because fifty percent of our kind of target audience they are on Android.
0: Mm-hmm, for sure, interesting. Okay great and what's the business model is it um like a sas model or is it, are you taking like a percent uh of the plan or savings
1: yeah so i'll, I'll just give like a comparison to traditional financial advisor mm-hmm. so traditionally traditionally the way financial advisors make money on 529 plans they charge front loads that are very expensive uh they like, you know, on average, like 5% of the contribution. And then they charge additional uh, annual commission. So (laughs) for the consumer, it's super expensive, right? Like you deposit, let's say $1,000, financial advisor take like $50 right away. So what we decided to do is to eliminate all the broker-dealer commissions, all the front loads, and just charge a simple advisory fee, like a monthly subscription fee, basically, Mm -hmm. uh, for all the help and, you know, like the technical support that we provide. So right now it's only $3 per month.
0: $3 per month per, yep. per, per account. That's cheap. Yep. Um, okay, very good. So let's talk about raising money. How much have you guys raised and over how many rounds?
1: Um. Okay, let's see. So... We raised two and a half rounds, mm-hmm. <laughs> I should say. <laughs> uh, so initially, I, I raised like an angel round of 300,000, but it was like, you know, pretty quick and simple because uh, I received money from someone who knew me, knew me before, knew my track record uh, in the financial industry, like, you know, believed in my ability to build a successful company. Um, and then we raised the seed round from institutional investors. So that round was uh, 2 million. And we just um, recently closed some additional financing, which hasn't been announced yet, but uh, it's about 1.5 million.
0: Okay, great. It's
1: it's kind of a seed extension. It's not series A. Uh, it's not because we need money. It's just because, you know, based on popular demand, we decided to accept a little more money at a slightly higher valuation.
0: Awesome. Um, well, let's come back to that, but let's go to the seed round. And I'm looking at... Uh, Pitchbook, I see some angel groups like Band of Angels. Yeah. Um, maybe talk about putting that round together.
1: Oh, <laughs> that was a journey. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, uh, it, it was interesting. Like we started fundraising in LA. Um, And we quickly realized that LA is not like a super kind of fintech uh, friendly city, you know, like there are not so many like fintech uh, VCs out here. Mm -hmm. And a lot of um, institutional, institutional investors are also very kind of valuation sensitive, you know, like, like when you raise money in Bay Area, like people are like less sensitive to valuations. If it's in LA, it's like, usually there is like a cap on post money. So we decided to go uh, outside of LA and, um, like I had to go to like San Francisco, Houston, New York, like, you know, probably, uh, I've been like on the, on the road for a few months actually, um, during the fundraising, but eventually, uh, what happened, we found our lead investor, uh, that actually supported female entrepreneurs. They mm-hmm. sole kind of goal purpose is, uh, Identifying like exceptional female founders and invest in those companies. Uh, the name of that lead investor is Artemis Fund.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They're based in Houston, um, and uh, they're led by three wonderful women. And another investor that uh, kind of committed pretty early is uh, one of the uh, one of Tim Draper's funds uh, called Draper Dra- uh, Draper Dragon. So they basically kind of co-led the investment, co-led the due diligence, and. Like, in, in the meantime, I was talking to some of the angel groups as well. And angel groups, you know, like the fact uh, that, you know, some some of the institutional money is already in and the, pri- uh, the rounds has been priced. So they feel like a little kind of more confident investing at that point. So that's how we received money from Band of Angels and Pasadena Angels. Um, and when the, when the round was like pretty much closed, because initially we were going to raise 1.5 million, uh, I received a really good call from uh, one of the l a investors uh, called Anthos Capital,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which was actually one of my first meetings mm-hmm. in l a And I can give you like a little like in- interesting story about them as well. but yeah, so they they basically decided to to invest like at the at the very kind of like uh, um at the at the tail end of the round.
0: be honest, did they pass? originally and then when they hear that like some of these other funds are involved do they come back <laughs> I, I hear that sometimes
1: <laughs> yeah no that actually like so uh, th- this is like so true it, it happens like all the time like when uh, yeah like someone passed and like you have a term sheet and round is all, all like almost uh, uh, you know subscribed uh, all of a sudden like everyone who passed on you previously like want to be in right but with Anthos it actually was different Anthos uh, was my first meeting in LA uh, the very first meeting, and they loved the company. They loved my background, and they told me right away, you know, we want to, we, we want to invest, but we do not lead the seed rounds. Mm, so yeah. they, their feedback was basically, go and find the charm sheet and come back to us. Um, and. <laughs> Five months later, <laughs> when I had the term shit, I pinged them and I was like, hey, I remember you were so interested in the company, uh, like, is it still, you know, the case? Would you like to talk? And we got on the call. It was like a you know, pretty quick call. They just like, gave, give us the update on the team, give us update on the product, uh, like what progress you've made in this, you know, couple of months. And on the call, they like, we want to inv- invest like 500,000. They actually ended up investing 750 and they became the largest uh, investor in the round.
0: So that's interesting. They're the largest investor, but they didn't want to lead it.
1: Yeah. Is that it's
0: an unusual strategy?
1: Like, this is mean? uncommon. Yeah. This is very uncommon. And, and, I, and I think like any round has its own kind of, you know, specifics, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my was definitely not a typical uh, round. So they usually lead series A or series B with very large checks, like $5 million to $20 million checks. They usually do not even invest in the seed round, but they like the company so much that they decided that we want to come in and we want to come in with a large position to be able to follow on in the next round.
0: It's interesting. I mean, usually my advice to startups is like, don't pitch a VC fund that usually does series A, series B, if you're not raising a series A, series B, but you're like the exception to the rule, (laughs) right? There's always the exception to the rule because you know they wrote a nice large check to you Um, that's interesting
1: and you know like my my philosophy on this is also um, understand the value add right uh, from the funds you don't want to take funds from any investor you need to take the funds from investors who can be real partners and be with you for the long term Uh, I mean Anthos was a fund that has exceptional reputation in LA uh, everyone loves them uh, they provide a lot of help to portfolio companies they provide a lot of introductions they connect you to like you know celebrities and you know help with recruiting and um, they stay low-key but everyone really likes and respects them right so to me it was actually an honor to, to get the check like so early on um, and I understand that they will be there for the long term and they will be supportive and we'll, they will provide a lot of help
0: yeah very cool. What is Draper Dragon? I've heard of, you know, obviously, you know, Draper Fisher, Jervison or, or DFJ or whatever they've rebranded it as, but what's Draper Dragon?
1: Yeah, so Draper Dragon is one of the funds uh, of Tim Draper that actually focuses on uh, Asia and mm. specifically China. And when we were talking to them, we basically acknowledged that uh, for us, a longer-term vision is not just to stay in the United States and not just to stay with 529 plans, but actually uh, expand internationally with our brand and help parents around the world to save for their children. And safe for the education right so like 529 plans is our initial model it's our initial product but we are definitely looking like longer term taking the company to other countries and mm-hmm. we, we received a lot of interest actually from um, uh, LATAM Scotland and um, China Hong Kong like a lot of investors from outside of the United States
0: cool yeah interesting um, did you? So you flew all over the place—New York, San Francisco, Houston—all over the place. How were you identifying good investors to go after?
1: Yeah, that, that's uh, that's a great question. So initially, I was thinking, okay, let me build like a target list of investors. You know, like and just you know only go after those investors on my target list. You know, like seed stage, potential yeah. leads. You know, strong reputation. And that, that actually that approach did, didn't work for me. Uh, what worked was identifying the right advisors and intermediaries who really believed in the business were passionate about it, were willing to help. Uh, they really identified me like, like as you know kind of exceptional uh, founder and were willing to kind of vouch on my behalf right and make a lot of uh, really good and warm intros. so they made introductions to Like, you know, variety of investors. Some of them were good, some of them were not right fit. But uh, if the investor wasn't right fit, I always got an introduction to another investor that was on my kind of target list. So I kind of went uh, in this process like backwards, not like, you know, targeting my investors, but targeting the right people and then kind of identifying the right investors in that pool.
0: Did you build like a formal advisory board where you're giving them, you know, half a percent um, mm-hmm. or is it more informal?
1: Yeah, it was more formal. Uh, I, I do not believe in informal uh, <laughs> advisory boards because like, people need to be incentivized for the work they do. Uh, and I think like at the seed stage, it's, it's specific, like, especially important because like you don't have much cash, right? You basically use your equity uh, as a currency in the company and you need to make sure that people are willing to take that equity because they, they believe that the company value will increase with their help, right? And if mm-hmm. they do like some work for you, uh, the valuation will, will go up. Um, my approach to finding those advisors was um, to find some repeat entrepreneurs with previous, previous success uh, in building the companies and, you know, selling the companies that already had established network of investors and they actually could make introductions and they understood fintech, they understood understood my uh business model well enough to be able to pitch on my behalf.
0: That's great. And was it a cold outreach to them or you know what was how'd you approach them? How'd you sort of win them over? Because those guys are it goes, you know Valuable and not always easy to reach.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I I, I agree. Um, so the way I started actually it was interesting. I looked at uh, several accelerators, uh, just the the advisory board, the mentors, and I tried to identify the ones specifically in fintech and specifically in marketing. Mm-hmm. And um, I found maybe like twenty people. I reached out to them on LinkedIn cold, um, and one of those people was actually Peter Mansfield, who I talked to previously. He was super experienced fintech expert. Uh, he was he already built a lot of successful companies before. He founded Marketa, Property Bridge, Bill Float, so like experienced entrepreneur. And we realized that, hey, like we already talked, we know so many people, like let's sit down like for coffee and, you know, um, find out how we can work together. He became uh, a chief marketing officer for the company like a year ago. He already had an amazing network of other fintech founders, repeat entrepreneurs, and he started making a lot of introductions to those people. And it was my job to basically identify the right advisors among those people. So, like, I maybe talked to like ten people, and um, four became the advisors.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And what would your offer be to them? And what were your expectations of you know what they were supposed to provide? Like, how did you kind of structure that?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I actually just pulled uh, like a you know typical template advisory agreement template from the mm-hmm. internet. <laughs> yeah. It had it had a breakdown. <laughs> okay, this is a typical services, and this is a typical equity for the seed stage company. So I just basically used a template. I didn't like you know didn't like reach out to my legal team for that, um, and uh, yeah, the, the agreement was I'm giving you like fifty basis points or eighty basis points for two years. It's going to be vested. Uh, monthly with like three months cleave and like the first uh goal that we need to kind of achieve together is just to make sure that the company is funded mm-hmm. and after that uh they providing like right now they're basically providing the uh, support um, from the operational standpoint. So they help with recruiting, they help with additional introductions, they help with uh, strategic, you know, company decisions. So it's just like whatever the company needs help with, uh, they do it. But initial goal was just uh, close the round.
0: Yeah, that's good. I like having this structured process. Um, Very cool. So excellent. Anything... um We haven't covered you. you, We talked a little bit before the call and I was bemoaning the fact that we haven't had any female or women on the show for a while. (laughs) Not by design, it just has organically been like that. Um, You know, any tips for women who who are getting ready to go race?
1: Uh, Yeah, I would say like yeah stories I would say that my situation was like interesting because, like when I was raising uh it definitely wasn't easy because I was not only a female founder but I was on also a first time founder and in fintech so it's like the the the, the most terrible combination you can imagine <laughs> for fundraising so I uh, learned a lot of lessons um one like one kind of story i can I can share and, and kind of uh, I'll translate it into tip. so one time. Uh, We were pitching uh, to two group of angel investors and like, usually I was the person who who would pitch to investors because I'm the founder. Uh, But that time, like we scheduled two meetings on one day, one was in in San Francisco and another one was uh, with San Diego, uh, you know, group uh, through Skype. And I asked Peter, who was my CMO, but he's like older guy. He's like in his, you know, like mid fifties uh, <clears throat> to kind of like, hey, Peter, I can, I can do them both at the same day. Like, can you help me? Uh, he's like, yeah, happy to cover for you. Don't worry about it. So here we are pitching like to two band, uh, I mean, two groups of uh, angel investors, uh, like telling them about the same story about, you know, the same same team, same problem that we're solving, you know, same company, exactly the same thing to the exactly the same group of investors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> And what happens, my group passes on me, and his group was like, wow, that's an exciting idea. Like, we take it to the next, you know, like, next uh, screening process. Like, this is, like, one of the best companies we've heard about. And I'm like, Peter, something's going on here. (laughs) Like, why? (laughs) So, we decided that, yeah, going forward, is. and, like, the, the interesting thing, too, understand is that sometimes people have biases but they're kind of unconscious right like you know they 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 make decisions they don't even like know why they make those type of decisions but you know uh sometimes it just it just happens so i told peter okay going forward let's make sure that we go to all pitch sessions together just to eliminate any type of gender bias um you know you're there, you kind of provide some credibility, you build, you build, you know, companies before, you like repeat entrepreneur and mail. <laughs> I'm a first time founder, but you know, like if you do it together, probably like our chances to um, impress investors will increase. And since, since then, uh, that's how we've done it. And it definitely helped a lot to get a lot of, you know, a lot more positive responses from investors.
0: Yeah, that's funny. Um, <laughs> funny, and I guess a little sad too. But uh, did it, in those meetings when you're together, did people ever, um, you've heard this story where, you know, they sort of direct their attention to to Peter and yep. think that you're just there supporting him or did you have to establish that you're the actual founder <laughs>
1: yeah no like all, all, all the time like you know people would ask him like a business related questions and they would ask me like personal questions um, one one uh, uh, like special investor who was like a kind of older guy like real estate investor he made a comment like when we walked in and he looked at me and he's like wow you look like a model like you shouldn't be like entrepreneur you should be a model i'm like okay thank you so much so and after that like basically for the rest of the meeting he was basically directing all business questions to to peter he completely ignored me
0: i'm assuming you didn't take a check from him or, <laughs> no um,
1: yeah. no
0: interesting I tell you, it's it's changed though. I mean, I think things are getting better. I've been around Silicon Valley since like the late 90s and it's definitely, and I had two female business partners in my business before Foundersuite and, you know, they would encounter some of that stuff. Sometimes they would work some of that to their advantage. Sometimes it was a problem, um, but it's definitely, I feel like, Come to the surface a lot more and you know things are changing it feels like yeah. so
1: yeah yeah no I, I agree like i mean a lot of investors that i mean like all of the investors that invest in us uh eventually like in the seed round and the seed extension they like super supportive they don't look at the gender they like you know like they just uh trying to understand the value that you know i bring to the table as a founder the value of the company the value of the team and I also like, you know, once we close the seed round, I made sure that I surround myself with a very strong kind of teammates, because that, that's what investors like, right? Um, it's not it's not about just one founder; it's about the team.
0: Sure, absolutely. Good. Are you already thinking about next round? You said you did a a bridge or kind of a um, seed, seed extension. Seed extension. You called it. Not a bridge, that's different. Yeah. Um,
1: you, you, yeah. You, know how, you know how they say it, like the, the, the best uh, time to fundraise is like when you don't need the money or when you just close the round, right? Yeah. So, so that's basically what happened. Like we closed the round and there was like so much interest. Plus I basically fulfilled on all the promises I made to investors in the first month. I, I told them like, I'm going to hire like these people. I'm going to like, you know, uh, make this much progress on the product. You know, like I'm going to do like X, Y, and Z and I did it. So. Those investors that didn't invest in the seed round, they saw that and they were like very impressed and they basically were knocking on our door asking, hey, can we like invest more? Uh, So we tried to make it basically very um, uh, kind of very friendly for the existing investors, meaning that we increased the valuation to make it like, you know, to make sure that original investors, you know, get the best value. We increased the valuation and just took like some extra money. That worked out like just perfectly. So Um, that was
0: mostly like an internal round, inside round from?
1: uh, No, like we got new investors in.
0: Okay, got it. Interesting. All right. Are you thinking about next round already or are you just focused on getting that Android app built for now?
1: <laughs> uh, I think like founders should always think about the next round. Um, <laughs> what, what I'm trying to do is just to build a relationship, right? Like mm-hmm. with uh, uh, Series A investors, with like, you know, uh, later stage investors. And first of all, like, just keep them uh, you know, updated on the progress. And understand like what are the metrics that they're looking at uh for the founders at series A you know like um rounds just to be ready right so like yeah, I'm initiating like a lot of conversations, a lot of people reach out to us, but I'm trying to build those relationships ahead of time, and uh we'll probably start the next round, I would say maybe like q two next year
0: hmm mm-hmm. one of the things I see some of our customers our founder suite users doing is they'll like literally reach out to. You know series a series b six months in advance right and just say hey i'm not raising money right now but can i add you to my newsletter
1: yep right. yeah
0: do you do anything like that
1: yeah yeah absolutely <clears throat> so we send like a uh, monthly like sometimes bi-monthly updates uh to all of those investors that expressed interest in the next round so yeah to mm-hmm. keep them on like you know in the loop on the progress to get them excited and uh, make sure that they're ready like when we are
0: do you Do you have any um, specific things you include or is it just like progress and traction, stuff like that?
1: Um, So my existing investors recommended not to talk about numbers too much because Uh like they don't want to disclose information, you know, like um, outside of what people need to know. Usually uh, it's, you know, just update on the product, update on the marketing, press coverage that we received uh, during the month, update on the team, just, you know, some exciting, you know, uh, uh, pieces of information. To keep them in the loop and also to make sure that they see uh, the progress we've made.
0: Yeah, that's good. Awesome. All right. Well, this is super useful. I love it. Anything we haven't covered, any other tips or anything you would, uh, any advice you'd give your younger self if you went back in time? (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, yeah, no, that definitely, uh, uh, like I mentioned, like learned a lot of lessons. I, I would say the advice I would give to my uh, younger self before fundraising uh, is just like prepare to make it your like full-time job mm-hmm. um, and uh, expect it to take longer than what you hope for um, because like I gave myself like three months. It took like, you know, five or six months to close the round and uh, the f- feedback that I got is like, it's pretty typical. It's actually not bad. Um so that, that's one. The second thing is um, understand the startup ecosystem because it's interesting that, you know, we as founders are looking for capital, but at the same time, uh, uh, VCs are looking to allocate capital, right? Yeah. And And... Um, I would say that between founders and VCs, there are a lot of parties that are uh, happy to help and connect the two, right? Uh, There are attorneys, uh, accountants, like just a lot of like intermediaries in that ecosystem. And they work with both founders and vcs they fight for our business they want to win our business and once we uh, raise the seed round they want to make sure that we um, you know reach out to them for services right so i would recommend to use that ecosystem and those intermediaries to the extent possible and ask them for the uh, warm introductions to vcs and just like connect the dots
0: sure yeah for sure did you ever think about going through an accelerator it sounds like you kind of hacked hacked it by looking at (laughs) the advisors and mentors but yeah (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, I actually became like an unofficial part of UCLA Accelerator. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I approached them like, like, okay, we would like you to join the cohort. Uh, but they didn't, like, their model is they're not investing. They just provide space and resources. So I did, uh, you know, take advantage uh, of some of that. Just kind of like, you know, I attended some sessions. I met a lot of people. They made a lot of introductions and just a like, good deals for startups. Um but that's that's all i that's all i've done basically other than that i decided that closing the seed round is my number one priority and i need to just you know put my effort into doing that um, and accelerators can be distraction for the business i just mm, wanted sure. to be like laser focused
0: awesome well if people want to learn more it's u-nest.com correct
1: yeah it's uh u-nest.com or they can go to unestapp.com we actually just did the rebranding.
0: Unestapp.com. Cool. And anything you want to plug or just tell people, parents, to go, <laughs> go sign up.
1: Yeah. No. I I would just say like it's it's never too early. It's never too late to start saving for the, you know kids' future. Uh, and we make it extremely you know accessible, uh, easy, and fast. Um, so yeah, would love to help all parents out there. And uh, if they have any questions, you know they can just reach out directly to me
0: that's great yeah i'll tell my wife about it but she's she's great she's already on top of it i think (laughs) did it like the day our kids were born so um, yeah good stuff yeah yeah all right thank you so much we'll catch you after your series a good luck with that
1: yeah thank you nathan yeah look forward to staying in touch all right bye thanks bye